Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on a magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope you're well. Man, I had a great day watching college football on Saturday. I tell you, like if you were ever going to try to sell somebody on college football, that's the day. Even though we didn't play, and maybe that kind of added to the enjoyment of the day. I mean, there was no stress of losing. Now, that's not to say that I'm a self-loathing Mississippi State fan. I do expect us to win a lot more times than we lose. But you know what? It's you know you don't have to have that have that emotional buy-in. You know what I'm saying? And it's like I can just enjoy stress-free college football today, and just root for good games. And man, we had some great ones. We're going to talk about that later in the show. But if you were ever in a situation where you're like, okay, I've got somebody that doesn't know anything about college football, and I want to endear them to the game and to the experience on television, you could have sat there Saturday from 11 a.m. to around 11 p.m., and you could have sold them on college football. It was a great day. Man, what a great day it was. Looking forward to some more great days ahead. Of course, we'll play Alabama this weekend. A lot more optimism among the Mississippi State fan base. I don't know that I share that just yet. I'm going to do some more research on Alabama, but after watching them play over the weekend, I do think there are some plays that can be made against that secondary. They had some busts that were kind of uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban coach team. Make no mistake now. This is still an elite football team, as they showed down the stretch in College Station. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, anybody expecting you know, Alabama to come in here with a you know, feel sorry for myself type attitude, they're not going to. But another point that I want to make, too, is I've, I've read some of this stuff, too, and I've been guilty of it at times, too. Uh, you know what? They're going to be mad. They're going to be mad. Well, if they're mad, good, because mad teams don't play well. That's how life works. Not at this level. It's different. You know, maybe you'll get a little more motivated yourself when you get beat. But when you start playing with emotion, you don't execute well. But the reality of the situation is Nick Saban's teams are always focused. Nick Saban's probably the most intense guy to ever put the headset on. So, you know, the chances are, oh, man, you know, really? No, it's not, nothing's going to change. If anything – there might be some doubt in the minds of Alabama, thinking, you know what, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. We struggled with Mercer a little bit. We get a big lead at Florida, and then we nearly lost the ball game, came down to a two-point conversion. We go on the road and play A&M. You know, maybe we're not a good road team. I don't know. But so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like we start talking about the emotional – you know, condition of 19, 20-year-old players, I mean, you know, who knows? And so if they had won, the fear would be, oh, man, they're undefeated, they're one in the country, they're going to kill us. And now they lose, and we're like, oh, man, they're so talented, they're going to be so mad, they're come here and kill us. None of that matters. None of that matters. If I had just lost a game like that and dropped from number one, now all of a sudden all the pressure's on me, so now I realize that I don't have any margin forever. If I I can't lose another ball game. Of course, if I I win the West, I've got a chance, of course, to play my way into the playoff. But, you know, i got to come out now. i got to go back on the road. I hadn't played well on the road this year. Yeah, there might be a little more pressure. In fact, I I think – Alabama is still very much favored in this ballgame and with good reason. But as far as the outcome of last weekend's game, I think it's actually a benefit to Mississippi State because if you're Mike Leach, you can just turn the tape on and say, you know what, these guys are beatable. 
A&M, the team you just beat, just beat them. So I think, it, you know, we, we worry so much about their point of view. What about our point of view? What about our level of confidence? It's like, hey, we just went out there and won a big road game. We had a week to get rested up, to get recuperated, and then the team that we beat just beat our next opponent. I would feel, you know what, hey, maybe I need to pay extra special attention and, and film review this week. We got a shot, man. Yeah, how many – I remember, was it 16? We go over there and get beat, what, you know, ungodly? Remember that? I think the bus got there like 30 minutes before kickoff. It's like we just kind of mailed it in. I don't think Mike Leach's team's going to mail it in. I don't think, well, Rodgers is going to mail it in. I think our team's going to be ready to go. Now, does that mean we win a ball game? I don't know. I can't tell you that today. We'll play it on Saturday. But all of this, oh, my gosh, now they're going to be mad. That stuff is just silliness. It's just absolute silliness. When has a Nick Saban team ever looked unprepared in a ball game? I'll wait. You know, when has Alabama not been the most talented team on the field, according to recruiting rankings? I'll wait. So nothing has changed with Alabama other than the fact that we realize – this team is beatable. This team is absolutely beatable. Doesn't mean we're going to beat them, but they're certainly beatable. They're just as talented as they were. They're just as well coached as they were. They're just as ferocious as they were. I mean, how many times have you heard Nick Saban talk about, you know, the process, the process, the process? I remember one thing I most respect Nick Saban for, and I'm a Nick Saban fan. I really am because I love the college game. How could you not respect Nick Saban? But Nick Saban said when one of his very first press conferences at Tuscaloosa, and of course he had won an AFL championship at LSU before you know, going to Miami and things not working out there with the Dolphins. But he goes, you know, everybody walks around here and talks about championships, but I'm the only one in the building that's done it. Words to that effect. And so I was also told too, and I get this story, you know, secondhand, but I understand that Nick Saban – went out to some of their donors, you know, people that maybe in, in administrations past had been somewhat complicit in some things regarding impermissible benefits. And that he went to every one of those donors and said, hey, listen, we're going to do it my way. I need you to stay out of my way. Last thing we need is to get, you know, put on probation. We don't need any mistakes out here. Just stay out of my way. And look at what he's built. But, you know, to anybody that's expecting Nick Saban and Alabama to show up here, you know, playing anything less than their best, just kidding themselves. But their best is perhaps not what it has been. So we'll see. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too. If you haven't been by there recently, let me encourage you to go. The quality, the consistency, the service, the selection on the menu, outstanding. I always get the spring rolls appetizers. Sometimes get a little something else. It brings some stuff home with me. But I always get the spring rolls. I mean, it's like that. that's one of the reasons you go, is to have the spring roll appetizer. I like to get the smokehouse. I like to get the pimentology, add bacon. I, I, that's still my favorite. Maybe you have other favorites. We'll see. Go check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive right here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. 
continuing to get great reviews. And every so often, somebody will message me and say, you know what, Steve, I've never been to Bulldog Burger Company before. I kept hearing about it on the show. thought we'd give it a shot. We've been missing out. And you absolutely have been. Go find your own favorites. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look back at the weekend that was. You know, we got the day off with a barn burner of a game, Ole Miss and Arkansas, and uh, goes down to the final play. I mean, what is it about those two, man? They just really bring out the offense in each other. There's always something crazy. Like a friend of mine said, I, I didn't. this Ole Miss-Arkansas deal is the rivalry I didn't know that I needed. And it's always an entertaining game. And it was this time. They didn't disappoint. Uh, I thought Ole Miss – had a bit of a dumb front roll in. They're up 10 points and like to go for it, fourth down on their own 38-yard line or whatever, and, and immediately let Arkansas back in the game. That was just – that was a dumb decision. I, I don't care what the analytics say. I don't care what anybody – that's just dumb. That's dumb football. When you're up 10 points, you put the game away. You punt it away. Sometimes punting is winning, right? Iowa can prove that to you. But 52-51, I felt the decision to go for two for Arkansas was absolutely the right decision. They weren't going to stop Ole Miss. They just weren't. And give Matt Corral the ball at, at the 25. You know, that you weren't able to get really any consistent pressure on him. They were able there, and Snoop Connor was running like a bull out there. I mean, it's just, you know, they weren't going to stop him. And so if you're Arkansas, it's like, you know, we got one play with our offense on the field and try to win this game. And so it was absolutely the right decision to go for it. The play call was awful. Uh, I think Kendall Brown is one of the best play callers in America, but he blew it on that one. And that's the thing, too, you go back to. It's like the last handful of KJ's throws were all high and very erratic. So that tells me something wasn't right. You know, maybe he dinged up a shoulder or something. But, you know, his accuracy and ball placement was off. And even on two-point conversion, I mean, he didn't give Burks a chance at all. I mean, he threw that ball, you know, 10, 15 feet outside the back of the end zone. But, um, man, what a great game it was. And Ole Miss wins. You know, we hate to see that. But at the same time, too, they earned it, you know. I mean, they, uh, you know, that's the thing I go back and think about. You know, uh, Arkansas had the big fumble. Arkansas had a missed field goal. You know, so it's like they had their opportunities. And it's interesting, too. Like, I've, I've read with great interest about how much better the Ole Miss defense is going to be. Give up nearly 700 yards to the Arkansas. They're now 102nd in the country in total defense out of 130 teams. 102nd in the country. And now they're getting ready to play some more SEC games. They already played Austin P. Got some more interesting games and got, got a really good one coming up this weekend up in Knoxville. That'll be a barn burner too. Okay, Florida destroys Vanderbilt 42 nothing. What was it, 17, 21 nothing, I guess, at the half. And Dan with the uh, you know, with the three-word interview. You know, and listen, here's the deal too, that, that they have to do that. Okay, that's part of the deal. It's part of the broadcast. And so they go up to, to Dan and say, hey, what did you tell your quarterbacks as you were leaving the field? Well, they got to play better. Well, how would you kind of assess your team's defensive performance? Awful. And then he walks off. You know, he, and here's the thing, too. Um, and, and I get maybe you're talking to your fan base or whatever, what we're not going to accept and that sort of stuff. You know, the sideline reporters have got nothing to do with that. And, you know, they got thicker skin than most. But um, – you know, there's more. There's too much of that stuff going on. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't really care for it. But, it, but Florida rolls 42 nothing. Florida is in a pretty bad situation. You know, now staring probably at minimum a three-loss season right in the face. But they win 42 nothing as expected. Uh, Tennessee rolls through South Carolina 
45-20. We expected Tennessee to win that ball game. But Heupel has got that offense absolutely humming, man. I mean, three weeks in a row, they have absolutely just jumped on people in the first quarter and not allowed them to get up. Crazy numbers. That Tennessee all Miss game is going to be similar. I mean, it really is. It's going to be similar to what we saw with Arkansas. Uh, I think Tennessee actually has a little bit better defense than Arkansas, so maybe a chance to get off the field a little bit more. We'll see. But if you're a fan of offensive football, the Tennessee Ole Miss game this week will be uh, one that you won't want to miss. Georgia, 34-10 winners on the Plains at Auburn. About what we expected, right? I mean, really, Georgia's defense is going to make a lot of people look bad. That's just the reality of it. Georgia, not a number one team ranked in the country, first time since 1982 when Herschel Walker was there. You know, it's, I begin to look at this Georgia team and you begin to look at what they have. And every time I watch them, I just come away impressed at how athletic they are on defense. They have size, skill, and speed at every level of defense. They're not going to give up any points. You might be able to scheme them up a little bit. But at the end of the day, talent usually wins. And that's what's going to happen when you play the University of Georgia. Auburn... Just 10 points. You know, they were rolling big early, you know, playing the Alabama A&Ms and people like that or the world. And everybody's like, man, this offense is rolling. And listen, I think Harson did the right thing. You schedule light, get your guys some confidence, work some things out against some teams that can't really beat you. But they have really struggled here as of late, you know, to move the football. And, uh, again, I thought Nick's backyard bow, as they call him, that is uh, – that's a feast or famine deal. He got into some situations, gave up some sacks on Saturday for huge losses, trying to do too much. You know, sometimes it's just not there. You just got to throw the ball away. He still hasn't learned that. Not to say that he won't make some plays down the stretch because, you know, it's like it's, it's so unfair to judge teams based on play in Alabama and Georgia. I mean, it really is because they make you do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally do. It's like all of a sudden you look up and it's like, man, it's you know it's a 10-10 ball game. We got to go make a play. Let's go fake a punt. Well, coach, we never faked a punt. Let's just go fake a punt. And you go fake the punt, and then Georgia stops you, and then gets the ball on the short end of the field. Now it's a 17-10 ball game. You start chasing those points again. Next thing you know, you get you know make a mistake, and they score again. Now you're two scores down. And you start throwing the football, and the game gets away from you. That's kind of what happened to Georgia in Auburn. Auburn hung in there for a while, but it just really wasn't a fair fight. And, and again, that's no disrespect to Auburn. They just don't have the, the same level of athlete as Georgia does. No matter what the recruiting rankings say, that's kind of where we are. Okay, so Mizzou wins 48-35. And, again, this Tiger defense is really struggling. They give up 35 points in North Texas. So, Missouri wins 48-35. Mizzou can't stop anybody. I mean, everybody has scored at least 24 points on them. And so, you know, they're going to have to outscore people. So, Eli, you got to get that fixed, man. And, and a lot of people thought that this defense was going to be kind of under development this year. I think it's been worse than advertised. But uh, 48-35 winners. And then there's this game, this Kentucky-LSU game. Guys, Kentucky beat LSU up. And, yeah, the score is 42-21. But even when it was 14-0, it's like LSU just simply didn't have it. They didn't have any juice. They didn't have any will to win. They were just getting shoved around on both sides in the line of scrimmage. I think Ed's lost the locker room. 
I think it's pretty safe to say. You heard some rumors down there that it kind of dates back to last year where they had the big blow-up last year. Since they've won the NAFL championship, LSU's 8-8. Eight 8-8. And eight. Eight and eight. That ain't going to get it done. And that's the thing last year. Remember, they were 3-5 and five down the stretch. They got hot, beat Florida, beat Ole Miss, finished 5-5. Five and five. They take a bowl ban to get out of the deal, self-impose a bowl ban, which should say something about what LSU thinks about their football allegations that are still not made public, which is ridiculous. But Kentucky beat them up. You know, we talk about, okay, well, Kentucky's kind of a finesse team. Well, that's not really true. I mean, you get out there and watch those guys run football, they'll get after you. And then Dare Rosenthal, former LSU uh, offensive lineman's left tackle at Kentucky. I'm sure he knew a few things that could help with a scouting report. Malik Neighbors scores a touchdown. You know, it's just – and then Keshawn Butte gets hurt. You don't know how bad it is. Guess we'll find out later today. Some people were saying it's a foot strain. Some people were saying it was an Achilles injury. You hate that. One of the league's, one of the nation's best players. You, you, certainly, you hate to see any kid get hurt, but especially a guy that's having the kind of year he's having. It's uh, very unfortunate. And so then we get to Alabama and A&M. Very interesting ball game, to say the least. I really thought from the very first snap that A&M did not look scared. They absolutely did not look intimidated by Alabama. Maybe it's because they felt their backs were against the wall. Maybe they just felt like, you know what, we're not going to let those guys come in here and push us around. Maybe the Jimbo just had the, the mojo. I don't know. But, guys, it was 17-7 after one. And that, remember they had the big interception in the end zone. They kind of kept them in it. But, you know, you get to 3-0 lead, and you're thinking, wow, when's the last time that uh, Alabama trailed? What's well, been forever and a day? And the next thing you know, Alabama goes up 7-3. You're thinking, okay, here it is. Here, here it is. Here it is. Wrong? Nope. Zach Calzada catches fire. Hits uh, Jalen Watermeyer for a couple of big plays. And I thought the first one was probably the most significant. Because they've been able to get Isaiah Spiller going, those backers. And it's not a great group. It's not the typical group of Alabama linebackers. They've got some athletes. Not the same, though. Well, all of a sudden you get Spiller going, the backers start cheating up a little bit. And so what does Jimbo do? He dials up some intermediate passing across the middle. Watermeyer is a walk and mismatch. Next thing you know, they're in the end zone. So it's 10-7. Everybody's like, hey, this thing's really going to happen. Out then they get the ball back. Calzada takes him down and hits Anaya Smith, who I think is probably one of the more underappreciated players in this league. That guy's really, really talented. It's 17-7, and I, and I think we're all sitting here thinking, man, is this going to happen? Nah, nah, nah. Alabama will find a way. They'll, they'll be okay. It's just 10 points, right? It's just 10 points. Alabama adds a field goal, makes it 17-10. And then late in the half, A&M puts a seven-play, 75-yard drive together. They go all the way down the field, and they score on the Isaiah Spiller run, and it was outstanding effort. But Spiller makes it 24-10. And then I think we're all thinking, okay, hey, this thing really might happen. (laughs) Alabama blocks the punt to pull within seven. Ah, it's over. Alabama's going to win. Nope. Nope. 
Devin Achain returns at 96 yards to the house to give A&M the two-score lead again. Alabama drives down, puts one in end zone, 31-24 head of the fourth quarter. Could we get a little Aggieland magic, right? I thought Alabama did a great job of not panicking. And that says, of course, a lot about coaching and about experience. You've got some guys that have been there. But it's been forever and a day since Alabama's trailed in the fourth quarter. They didn't go for it on that first drive of the fourth quarter. They instead take the field goal, right? You get down there, you get a chance. Your defense is starting to figure some things out. You take the points when you can get them. And that's exactly what happened. You kick the field goal. Well, what happens? You get another stop. You go down and kick another field goal. Well, now it's like, hey, we're within a point, so we're within a field goal. All we just got to do is get a stop and go down and make a score. Well, they get the stop, and they don't have to settle for the field goal. They get a touchdown to Jamerson Williams. And, and, and again, I agree with every one of you. They were not set. The video shows they weren't set. They throw the touchdown pass. There's nobody out there covering Williams. And then they go right back to him on a two-point conversion, and he made an incredible catch. And a great throw from Bryce Young, too. So now Alabama's up 38-31. We all say, well, it was good while it lasted, right? Well, it wasn't over. Anaya Smith gets loose. Gets some great blocking on the perimeter by the other receivers. He gets into the end zone, makes it 38-38. And there's some were thinking, do they go for two? Not at home. You don't go for two at home. Nope. You play for overtime at home. You play for the win on the road. It's an adage as old as time. And the next thing you know, they, they get the field goal. And it's incredible, too. Zach Calzada, after he threw that touchdown pass, kind of got rolled up. Nothing malicious about the play. I know initially I saw some people on Twitter saying, hey, it should be – you know, roughing the passer or something. No, it just wasn't. It's, you know, it's just a pile down there. Nobody did anything. But he goes to the tent. He has to be helped from the field. And you're thinking, they're going to have to try to win this with a, with a third-team quarterback. Calzada comes back, puts together an eight-play drive, and Seth Small kicks a field goal. And, you know, I think we talked about that. After watching those guys play against us, you just felt like, you know what, if it came down to a field goal, Seth Small is going to be able to make it. So A&M completely turns their season around. Uh, Ross Bjork, Jimbo Fisher, everybody feeling a whole lot better about life today. I didn't expect A&M to win. You know, they have kind of made it a habit here as of late, at least playing competitive until late. And then like the Alabama strength and condition program takes over in the fourth quarter. But A&M finished the game. They did. And give Jimbo a lot of credit. Jimbo called it. He said, hey, we're going to beat them. Not this week, but he said before Nick Saban retired, they were going to win. And they did. One of the biggest wins in Texas A&M history. You know, I would say, you know, their two biggest wins, the Johnny Manziel win in, what, 2012 at Tuscaloosa, and then this one. And Johnny Manziel on the sidelines there to celebrate with them as well. So people say, well, does that make State look better or worse? Well, of course it makes us look better. Of course it does. Now we got a chance to go compete this weekend, kind of see if uh, another measuring stick here. That Alabama running game scares me a little bit, you know, but we've been pretty good against the run. Bryce Young showed, too, kid doesn't handle pressure well. I don't mean pressure of the moment. I mean pressure in his face. He took some sacks, shouldn't have to take. More veteran guy would have got the ball out of there. Guy's incredibly athletic, got a cannon for an arm. Guy can really play, but a little bit erratic at times, too. 
Ball placement's not necessarily perfect. There were a couple balls that Nick Saban called drops that I think he was protecting his quarterback. There are a couple of those balls, and you just, you're not going to be able to come up with them. But a wins. And so congratulations to those guys. Zach Calzada was kind of, you know, the GOAT, and now he's the GOAT. And as the kids say, you know, he he really struggled last weekend against us and then had a shiny moment, kind of a coming out party against Alabama. Will forever be remembered for that. Pretty incredible stuff. Can you imagine how bad it feels to be a Texas fan today? I mean, honestly. You get up with 28-7 on Oklahoma and lose, and you go home thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to watch Alabama kick Aggie all over the field tonight. And then they win? How miserable is that? I mean, think about how we would feel if we're up 28-7 on Ole Miss in the battle for the golden egg in the first quarter, and then we lose. Then you got to go home and watch one of your least favorite teams win. I mean, come on. It's like we always joke, you know, the great days when we win and Ole Miss loses. Just think about how Texas feels today. Glad we don't have to feel that way. My goodness, man. I don't know what to tell you, Texas. It ain't going to get any easier when you get over here. That's for sure. We play a little defense over here. I mean, you know, contrary to what Ole Miss and Arkansas would try to tell you. We play a little defense here. It's miserable. Man, I tell you what. But what a crazy weekend of college football. And I'm so glad we got a chance to see it all. Looking forward to seeing the Bulldogs back in action this week, as I know you guys are as well. But, again, you just kind of go back and look at this and say, you know what, hey, we got a chance to have a pretty good year this year. Maybe better than people expected. Or maybe we live up to expectations this year. I don't know if anybody was expecting State, you know, to, to win 9 or 10. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas 
can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. In ball games, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody saw that. But uh, kind of looking at your SEC standings now. On the East, big game coming up this weekend. Kentucky will visit Athens and lose. But those teams are currently 6-0. and The only two undefeateds in the Southeastern Conference, Georgia and Kentucky 4-0 in the league. Interesting how the difference in the two teams. Georgia's points for 239 points. Points against 33. So they're outscoring their opponents by 206. Kentucky 186, 4, allowed 105. It's a little bit of a difference there. Tennessee, the highest scoring team in the SEC East, 249 points. They've allowed 129, been a little bit better as of late, but that is a team that can put up some points, to say the least. The second highest scoring offense in the Southeastern Conference behind only Alabama. Florida tied with Tennessee in the math, 4-2. and two. Of course, uh, Florida won the head-to-head. So, if there is a tiebreaker between those two, Florida would win that. Uh, Mizzou, excuse me, Tennessee's 2-1 and one in the league. But they're 4-2 and two overall. Tennessee 2-1 and one in the league. Florida 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Missouri 0-2 oh in the league. 3-3 three and three overall. I'm starting to get a little bit concerned, Eli. Let's get it together up there. South Carolina 0-3 in the league, 3-3. And, and again, they're, they're, they're staring 4-8 right in the face. Vanderbilt 0-2 in the league, 2-4 overall. Vanderbilt about to put together a really nice losing streak for you guys. All right, looking at the West now, it's, it's kind of busy at the top. Let's just say that. There are four one-loss teams in the SEC West. Alabama, of course, 2-1 is still in first place. And then Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, 1-1 one one in the league. Arkansas, 1-2. LSU, 1-2. A&M, 1-2 with a bullet, though, guys. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to go out on a limb right now. a and is going to beat Ole Miss. They are. Teams that can run the football are going to beat Ole Miss. And, and A&M can definitely run. If A&M is healthy, if Spiller is healthy, they're going to win the football game. Just not a good matchup. A&M is going to beat some people. It's probably going to be a lot, you know, Ups and downs, for sure. They can end up being an eight and four type team. They're four and two right now, at the halfway spot. And you know, if you begin to look at this, you know, look at the schedule. There's, you know, probably the bulk of the the games you're not supposed to win are already behind you. They're gonna. So it's crazy. They're gonna be at Mizzou this week. All right, that's a win. 
Then they host South Carolina. That's a win. Then they host Auburn. If I'm calling it today, that's a win. A&M then goes to Ole Miss, win. Prairie View, win. And then at LSU, guys, A&M could win out. It's crazy you think about that. I'd venture to say there's only two games on the schedule left. You kind of you know, raise your eyebrow, and that's Auburn and then Ole Miss. You know, going to Oxford, it's like going to Oxford not like going to LSU or, or Kyle Field. But anytime you got to go on the road, it's tough to go play. But you, know, you could conceivably see Aggie put together a really good run here. And let's say they finish 10-2. and two. And we start looking at all this stuff and start thinking about FBS – rankings, playoff rankings, that sort of stuff. It helps Mississippi State to have a win over them. Not that we're going to the rankings, but when they get ready to start doing the bowl pairings, it's going to be helpful that we're a little bit higher in the rankings. We've got to go win some ball games. But we got A&M out there kind of running some interference for us. But uh, that's your SEC standings. Time to get into today's top ten list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You guys know Blair. Blair Chandler. Chances are you've stood in line next to him in a concession stand at Duty Noble Field or Davis Wade Stadium. Because when the Bulldogs are playing, Blair is here. And I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever possible. Whether you're looking to make a purchase of a home, refinance your current home, perhaps do a second mortgage, Blair is the one-stop shop for you. Go to Close with Blair. That's Close with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. And you can get in contact with him there and see all these great products that they offer with Fairway Mortgage. Blair, top 1% close ratio guy nationally. Not in Rankin County, not just in Mississippi, not in the outskirts and the suburbs of Pisgah. Nationally. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. You'll be glad that you went to battle with Blair because this is a guy that knows how to get your lawn closed. Refis are probably... One of those things in the years ahead that will be a little bit challenging, you know, our economy is becoming a real challenge. I don't want to get political. I'm not going to do that. But the rates aren't going to stay what they are. And so you're going to probably need to take advantage of that. If you've been thinking about, hey, you know what, what if I could refi and get into a shorter term? What if I can get out of this house a little bit quicker? That's the way to go. Or perhaps you need to, you know, get some cash out. Maybe you want to put it in a pool. Maybe you want to consolidate some debt. Maybe you got a wedding to pay for. Let your equity go to work for you. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, Blair's going to keep it in the family for you. If you just mention to him, either by phone, by text message, by email, that, hey, I heard Blair, I heard about you and your great services on the Boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Check it out today. Close at Blair.com. And be sure to let him know the Boneyard. All right, so so we have had uh, – I've had – I guess three or four people over the course of the last couple months have mentioned this band to me. Over 40 million records sold. They've been performing now for 37 years. It's a California punk band called The Offspring. And so one of the things that you may know about me is uh, whenever there is a feud, I have to pick a side. That's just how I'm built makes me a very difficult enemy to have. But when these bands have disputes, just like when Godsmack and Nikki Six used to have their feud, well, I didn't listen to Godsmack. Not that Nikki Six needed my loyalty, but that's just kind of how I'm built. So when Offspring and Green Day kind of had their issues, I thought Offspring was more of a punk band anyway. 
So I went, went with them. And so maybe that's the genesis of all of this uh, bitterness about Green Day, that and the fact that they're not any good. Uh, but here's your top 10 offspring songs. Dexter has been with the band since the beginning. I think Noodles has been there uh, just about since the beginning, at least through the heyday. My very first offspring album, of course, was uh, Smash, like many of you. That was a, a major, major album in the early to mid-90s, sold over 11 million copies. Think about that for a second. Punk band out of California, a real punk band out of California, not the Starbucks, Starbucks punk band out of California, a real punk band selling 11 million. It's crazy to think about. All right, so here we go. And, and I say this too because a lot of the Offspring songs that you know are kind of novelty type songs. Offspring is more than that. Even though a lot of their hits were kind of silly and, and kind of light and that sort of stuff, and they kind of made some fun of themselves. There's some really cool tracks in this catalog. I have a new album that just came out this year, and so it's a good time for us to do the Offspring. Brand new album, Let the Bad Times Roll, just came out. So be sure and check that out. Uh, number 10, off the Smash album, It's Gotta Get Away. Absolutely love that song. You will too. It's a real serious song. It's not like, um, you know, some of their other songs, again, are a little kind of border on silliness. This is not one of them. Number nine, good guitar riff, great at shows, want you bad. That's a great one. Number eight, I love the guitar riff on this one. To me, it's more true to the West Coast punk sound. It's you're going to go far, kid. And, and it's like, that's the thing about hearing real punk is you can play along to that. You know what I'm saying? It's not so intricate. A lot of it's just kind of two and three chord progressions. You can play along with that. Uh, but you're going to go far, kid, is one that, uh, number one, it's got a good message, but also, too, it's, uh, it's a really fun song. Number seven, a song that won a bunch of awards, and it's got Redman from the Wu-Tang Clan on it. It's Original Prankster. That video, I think, if I'm not mistaken, nominated for Video of the Year, maybe, at the time. For MTV, back when MTV played music. Stupid, man. Oh, my gosh. I used to always complain on MTV. It's like it was almost 24 hours of uh, hair care commercials. And then it's like some videos kind of tucked in every now and again. And I remember this. Like, we didn't have a lot of shows back then. We didn't. We, they basically just kind of played videos. And they'd have VJs and have China Kantner. And all these people kind of, you know, announce the songs. And they'd give you some insight. Hey, so-and-so's touring, that kind of stuff. And then I remember they started doing, uh, they did Remote Control. Kari War was on there. Love her. Colin Quinn. It was a great show. And it kind of gave us a little bit of a, an interruption in the music. But little did we know that it was going to be the death of MTV. They started doing the show, started getting bigger sponsorship. Next thing you know, we're done. But they had these shows. They, they started doing them later in the evening. And now, now all MTV is now is like uh, 24 hours of ridiculousness with uh, Rob Deerdeck. Rest in peace, Big Black. Uh, number six, the kids aren't all right. Love this one again. It's really true to the West Coast punk sound. Love the guitar on it. You will too. It's easy to sing along to. Number five, another one of the sillier songs. Why don't you get a job? Got a, it's, it's great in bars because people can sing along. And so the, the later they play this, the drunker people are, the more anthemic this song is. 
Number four, this song has actually been covered in recent years by a couple different bands, and it's gone away. And I, and I honestly think it didn't get the commercial success that some of the top three did. It is one of Offspring's best songs. And I think when you go listen to it, maybe, maybe today, you're thinking, you know what? I'd forgotten about this. I never heard this. This is killer. I'm going to listen to more of this. All right, number three, off the smash hit, Smash, it's self-esteem. And again, it's kind of a self-loving song about a loser of a guy that uh, has a girl that runs around on him and you know he keeps taking her back, keeps taking her back. Number two, Pretty Fly for a White Guy. A lot of funny stuff. The video, the song is great. The video is better. Because we all know a guy like that. We all know a guy like that. And maybe it's me. Who knows? But number one, and it's the one that started it all for me. The very first time I heard this song, I was like, holy smokes. I got to find out who sings this thing here. It's come out and play. You got to keep them separated. I don't, I don't know why they stopped playing this at stadiums. They need to bring it back. Because everybody knows this song. Everybody loves this song. It's got some kick to it. And I love that West Coast, West Coast beach vibe guitar riff they play in the pre-chorus. It's amazing. No song quite like it. Come out and play. you got to keep them separated. So there you go. There's your top ten, The Offspring. Probably weren't expecting that today. But there you go. And, and, and thank you guys so much, too, for the support. We've had uh, Roy and I talk about this stuff a lot. It's like, well, you know, this band didn't do so well. This band surprisingly did well. You guys love 90s. That's the thing I've learned. It's like if we do 80s or 90s, you guys kill it. But out of the blue, Bullet for My Valentine had a short run in the top 10. Guys, we've done about 300 of these lists. And Bullet went to number 10. And that's a modern rock band. I love Bullet for My Valentine. So I never know what's going to work with you guys. Just I just never know. Never know. And so we just kind of keep working our way through this. We've thought about doing uh, kind of some revised list from some bands now that this thing is really taken off. And just to kind of see what the numbers look like. But uh, if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out. Let me know. Happy to do it. Again, celebrating some West Coast punk today, The Offspring. Next segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookMart.net. Go by and see Standing Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie Candy. Everybody up there will take care of you because they'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. You're part of the Bulldog family. We're not just fans, we're family. Unless we're losing. And then we're fans. Right? Some of you, anyway. I'm True Maroon. And if you're True Maroon, Campus Bookmark can take care of you. Even if you're just like partially Maroon, They'll take care of that for you, too. Because there are some people out there that are only fans, you know, like, you know, they just kind of root for us when we win. Well, buy the fair-weathered fans in your life more Mississippi State gear. And the true Maroon fans as well. Visit them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, they'll give you the phrase it pays. BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And that kind of goes without saying because you're going to spend 50 bones easy not because the prices are high, but because the quality and the selection are great. Visit them today, campusbookmart.net. Guys, I don't want to scare you. We're just under two months away from Christmas. Don't wait. Don't wait. Go ahead and get your online order done now. Save yourself some time and money because you know how it's going to be. You're going to be panicking down the stretch. 
Get ahead of the game. Let Miss Kathy Brown take care of you. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Buy yourself something there, too, whether you're in town or online. You deserve it. And I'm a firm believer in this. I know as many of you, like, you've kind of found out the hard way. It's like, you know, Mississippi State vendors that, like, live and work here understand what Mississippi State fans want. A lot of you rushed out. We bought all this stuff. Hey, we won the NFL championship. We bought every shirt we could find. And now you've got like some orange and white polka dotted shirt that says like M State NFL champions on it. You know, it's like you didn't get what you paid for. It's not like that. So buy local, eat local, shop local, live local. I mean, those guys at Amazon got enough money for sure. All right, let's take a quick look at a couple other things. Let's talk a little bit about the series history with Mississippi State and Alabama. As you guys, if you've listened to the show for very long, you know the very first game that I attended in person, November 1st, 1980, our very first win against Alabama in my lifetime. And we won that game. I'm thinking, you know what, hey, maybe we're, we're, we're moving on here. Well, that was our first win against Alabama since 1957. Let that sink in for a second. We beat them in 57. And then we scored one touchdown in the next five years. It was brutal, man. It's a brutal stretch. So we win in 80, and then we nearly win in 81. Tough ball game. Nearly win in 82. Tough ball game. But we didn't beat Alabama again until 1996. That year, Coach Jackie Sherrill, in many respects, was kind of coaching first job. We all kind of knew it. We'd had a pretty good run under Jackie. You know, we got off to a good start. Had a couple bad years, and in 96, we upset Alabama. Went on to win the Egg Bowl. And even though we didn't go to a bowl game, we all felt like, you know what, hey, we're on the right track now. We're okay. It was incredible we won that ball game. It was in Starkville. A lot of people, I was living in Lafayette, Louisiana at the time. A lot of people were thinking, you know what, we're going to get killed in this ball game. That game ultimately led to the resignation of Gene Stallings at the University of Alabama. Uh and not that Alabama was struggling. That was a great Alabama team. We just simply found a way to do it. And then Gene Stallings got sideways with some donors and some administrators that, you know, I don't need this. I'll see you guys later. And he quit. And then we went on a three-year run against them, beat them 32-20 in 97 at their place. In 98, the year we won the SEC West, I know that some people had never done that, we beat them 26-14 at our place. In 99, we take uh, one of our better teams over to Tuscaloosa. And I'll never forget this. It was Shamari Buchanan from Alabama. They had been throwing that bubble screen over and over and over and over again. We needed to get a stop. We overplayed the bubble, and Buchanan just kind of runs through traffic, and he's wide open and takes it for a touchdown. And they beat us 19-7. So we couldn't go back to Atlanta. We went up there, laid an egg at Fable the next weekend. I mean, that's a, a perfect example of letting a team beat you twice. And I'll be honest with you, we were the better team in 99. But the moment was too big for us. And you would think, hey, we've beaten Alabama three years in a row. We should have a lot of confidence to go win this ball game. Listen, that was a great Alabama team. But having to go play in Tuscaloosa, we were undefeated. We kind of knew this was the last real hurdle left. We could potentially play it our way into a BCS bowl game. 
And we blew it. We did. And to give Alabama credit, they won. Beat us on a wheel route and beat us on that bubble. We get some uh, revenge in 2000. We get them 29 to 7. So let that sink in for a second, young people. We had beaten Alabama four out of five times from 96 to 2000. We thought we were over the hump. And then things changed. Then they, they, they go back and win what five straight until a guy named Sylvester Croom comes along, who in many respects made the Alabama game even bigger than the battle for the Golden Egg. As a guy that grew up in Tuscaloosa, played at Alabama, felt that he got passed over for the job in, uh, in lieu of Mike Shula. So he had a little bit of a, a chip on his shoulder. And so we beat them 24 to 16 at their place back in 06. And the play of that game, I think everybody remembers this, is John Parker Wilson takes it and tries to go on the last play of the half. And we stand him up at the goal line. They review it. Believe it or not, the call is upheld. Kroom and those guys go run off the field. We hang on the win. Late in the ball game, we had a third team running back kind of putting the game away. You think, oh, well, Steve, this has got to be, you know, Anthony Dixon, shiny moment. No. No, it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't. That's the thing. I'm going to go back and find this guy because we need to honor him today, right? If I could make sure we got the still have the recap available to us. We had a walk-on running back in that ball game that when the game was over, it's like nobody even really knew who he was. Like I mean, he'd been on the roster, and of course we had played some t- teams that year, and we had some depth at running back. But uh, let me see if we can't. Let me look in the recap here and see if we can find the name there. But I, I'll get it for you. I think it's important, you know. Um, so we rushed for 131 yards in that ball game, and most of that was Anthony Dixon. And I can't remember if AD got a little banged up or what, but down the stretch, we didn't have AD. It was just our moment, though. It was Justin Williams. That's who it was. So, yeah, AD was in there some, but we had to give him a break, and, and Justin Williams comes in, and, and uh, there was a third and four from their 20. And it wasn't Dixon, it was Justin Williams, and he runs for six yards to kind of put this thing away. But, you know, looking back at this, too, was so interesting. You know, it's like we had a chance. We missed a field goal. We missed a field goal late that could have made this thing a two-score game there in the fourth quarter. You know, just kind of looking at this here, we you know, Adam Carlson missed a 45-yarder with 10 minutes to go that would have made it a two-possession game. And what does the Bulldog defense do? Back-to-back, three and outs. Back-to-back, three and outs. They give up not, – that's not correct. They had one drive of four plays for 22 yards on the very first play. J.P. Wilson to D.J. Hall uh, out to near midfield, and then Titus Brown with a big sack kind of puts him back behind the line. And so we win that ball game, and I remember it, it was a miserable year. I mean, it was not a year that we felt good about anything. We were just kind of struggling through it. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, hey, oh, oh, okay, all right, maybe this will work out for us. We go 3-9 and the year. 2007, they come back, and that's Nick Saban. Nick Saban's first team comes to Starkville. And it really felt like that we were in a lot of trouble here. And then some craziness happened. Some absolute – and it's one of the biggest plays in the history of, of Mississippi State football. 
And that was a good year for us. It wasn't a great year. It was a good year. 8-5 year that, that year for us. But, uh, you know, Alabama is basically about to take this game and put it away before the half. Pretty crazy to think about this. But the bottom line was is that um, Anthony Johnson, Anthony Johnson from Provine High School, made a pick in the end zone, returns it 100 yards to give us a 10-9 lead. Guys, it was about to be 16-3 at a minimum. And we pick it off. We bring it all the way back. Titus Brown all in his face, slams John Parker Wilson to the ground. We undercut the route. We take it back. And we ultimately win the ballgame. But it doesn't happen without that pick. That pick six changed everything for us. And so we ended up winning the ball game uh, 17 to 12. And I think at that point, we knew we were going to go to a bowl game. We knew that life was good. And we did. We did have a decent year. And then we haven't beaten them since then. And that has been something that has kind of stuck in the craw of Bulldog fans for a long time. And the reality of it is, is we've, we've really only had two reasonable chances to beat Alabama. We have not been competitive with Nick Saban as their coach, other than the one win, with rare exception. We really struggled to score points in the Dan Mullen era against uh, Alabama. Now, the 14-year, we should have won that game. We get beat 25-20. Dak has a really bad game, throws a couple of picks. Had some big drops early. Robert Johnson, Jimmy on Lewis. We had a chance to get going. We didn't. Blake Sims killed us. There were several times we'd have them in third long. We didn't contain him. He got outside. And Blake Sims drew the difference in, in the ballgame that day. And they win 25-20. And in many ways kind of took a lot of luster off the season. It's a ball game we should have won. We, we blew it. 2015, they come in here and just run roughshod all over us, 31-6. We couldn't protect Dak. It's like the very first play of the game, he gets sacked, and it's like we knew it was over. 16, I mentioned that one earlier. If that's a 51-3 deal, we, we, were not, we did not go over there and compete. But I thought Nick Fitzgerald won the locker room that day because no matter how many times they hit him, he kept getting up, kept getting up. 2017, Dan Mullen puts a wrinkle in. We go under center. And we run the football right at him and really gave him some trouble. Even though the officials, you know, I guess it was uh, Rob Skelton, helped him out when uh, Calvin Ridley runs out of bounds of his own volition and he rolls it a force out. Mike Nemeth and I were standing right there as he's speaking to Ken Williamson. We hear the conversation. He says, I have a force out on the Alabama wide receiver. There was no force out. They're scrambling. Ridley's trying to work back to the quarterback, trying to free himself. And then they hit him, and he gets down to the one. They score a play later. It, you know, it was, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then, of course, 18, we go over there and get beat 24 nothing. Defensively, we had the athletes. And, of course, if we'd gotten a couple of calls early, you remember we, we forced a fumble early. Gary Green picks it up. They don't give it to us, don't even review it. And then uh, Jeff Batts makes the uh, block in the back call on Dedrick Thomas that didn't happen, that nullified a Colin Hill touchdown. You know, it's, it's a 24 nothing ball game, and you start thinking, you know, well, we're going to win the ball game? Probably not. But you know what? What if we get that early touchdown? 
What if we start believing a little bit? What if we score that, uh, that second one right before the half? Because now all of a sudden it's a 21-14 ball game or a 17-14 ball game at halftime. Who knows? A couple bad calls cost us. They were the better team. I'm not trying to suggest they weren't. But when you go play against Alabama, you can't have a bunch of calls go against you either. And that tends to happen at times. 2019, you guys are well aware of that one, right? 38-7. Miserable, miserable, miserable ball game here in Starkville. We didn't compete. Last year, but we get beat 41 nothing. We looked at some numbers here a couple days ago. You know, Will Rogers played in that ball game. And I think that experience is going to be big for him. He doesn't have to go play the, the helmet logo. It's like, hey, I've already played against these guys. Let me see how they performed against me last year. How did they defense us last year? And guys, I don't know if you've noticed this. We're doing a better job of playing against the zone. We are. Now, Alabama, obviously, will have some elite athletes out there patrolling that zone. I would venture to say probably the best collection of DBs we're going to see all year. Now, a and really good. LSU's really athletic, even though they've had some guys banged up. We're going to see a very athletic Alabama secondary. So we got to get the ball out quick. We can't sit there and pat the football. And Alabama hadn't necessarily been one of those teams that has been – I don't know that their pass rush is what it has been, and we're going to talk a little more about that on Wednesday and kind of break this thing down a little bit. But, uh, you know, Will Rogers played the Lions here at the ball game, 24 or 37, 147 yards, and, yes, a lot of it was check downs. The long was 19. But he only had the one sack. And those are things that I look at and I say, you know what, if I'm a young Will Rogers, I can say, you know what, I can go play with these guys. I'm as good as Zach Calzada. As a matter of fact, I'm probably better. So if Zach Calzada can go and have a good game against them, I can too. We just can't go out there and turn the football over. You can't give a team like Alabama multiple possessions. You can't just give it away like that. You just can't. You got to make them drive a length of the field. Those are the things that I think Mississippi State's got to do. Some, as we mentioned, sometimes a win is a punt. You get a couple first downs, you stall out a little bit, you punt that thing and pin them back. And that's the thing I, I look at with you know Zach Arnett too. He, listen, angry Arnett is a good Arnett. Now, the Mississippi State Bulldog defense did not play well last year at Tuscaloosa. Now, they did a great job scheming us up to get Devontae Smith paired up with London Craft. And, again, I'm not talking trash about London Craft. The guy works hard and does the best he can for us. But they schemed us up and made us pay for it. Devontae Smith had 11 catches, 203 yards, four touchdowns. Future first-round draft pick, right? Najee Harris, 21 for 119 on the ground. And that's the thing I look at, too, is like outside of Mac Jones, we really we didn't have a lot of negative plays. We weren't getting a lot of tackles for loss. That's got to change. We have to change the line of scrimmage. We had one sack in that ball game. One sack. That's it. Mag Jones sat back there and pretty much pitched and caught all day, 24-31, 291 yards, and then they kind of pulled him and let the running game take over. But, you know, they had 291 yards passing, 203 of it to Devontae Smith. They don't have a guy quite like that this year. That's not to say that they're not talented. I think that John Mechie guy is always open. Always. But we got to go out there and play better. You know, we actually did a decent job as far as numbers go, but we couldn't keep them out of the end zone. We just simply couldn't do it. 
Those are the things you look at that just kind of drives you crazy. We can't go out there and give them a short field. We can't constantly get behind the chains. We've got to put Bryce Young in a decision-making process early. We have to bring pressure in his face. We've got to make him throw the ball before he's ready. a did a good job of that. They really did. thought Bill O'Brien did a better job down the stretch, kind of moving him around a little bit, make, simplifying reads a little bit, a lot of things to the right side there. So we've got to be able to go out there and compete, make some things happen. But if you ask me today, hey, Steve, who's going to win the ball game? If, I, you know, if I'm calling it today, I'm calling Alabama. Just got to think they're a little bit better. Now, come Friday, I may have talked myself into this thing. But I don't think it's going to be a 41-0 ball game. I think Mississippi State's going to go out and compete. I really do. I think State's going to go out and compete. We're going to have to. We punted 10 times in that ball game, just so you guys know. 10 times. Tucker Day had five. Reed Bowman had five. Ten times. We got to reduce that. You know, Mike Leach didn't like punting. We're a much better offense than we were a year ago, and I think that, I think that'll be evident on Saturday. I, I do think that we're going to be able to get out there and compete with those guys a little bit because again, I don't think this Alabama team is kind of what the people were expecting them to be. But again, we'll break more of that down on Wednesday. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. That's right, Portico. If I was moving to start, well, that's where I'd move. I would. I'm already here. And, and don't think I hadn't thought about it. It's like, you know, I got this big house out here, and I've only got one kid at home now. Maybe it's time to downsize, move to town. I've thought about it. So maybe, maybe you can buy my house, and I can move to Portico. But uh, the reality of it all is is that uh, if you've wanted to move there now, you're not going to be able to. You're going to have to wait because all the phase one construction has been purchased. Now, you can go ahead and pick out your lot and pick out your floor plan for your new home. It'll be newly constructed. You can do that now. Three lots in phase two already purchased. Why wouldn't you want to go ahead and get involved in that? And so you get the new construction. You don't have to have that lived-in experience, that smell, right? You get something brand new of your very own. How many times have you wanted a brand new house? Treat yourself a little bit. For many of you, this may be your last big move. And maybe you want a ball game retreat. Maybe you want an investment property. Or maybe you want this as your primary residence. Portico is the way to go. Brooks Bryan, part of this great developmental group that is bringing this wonderful place to Starkville. Brooks is a guy that's invested in Starkville. That's a guy that, listen, he grew up down the road, man. He played his college ball here. He knows what it's like. He knows how important it is. Give Brooks a chance to help you. Brooks Bryan got some great baseball stories for you as well. Give Brooks a call today, 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. As always, easy, easy, easy to get to. Turn off of 82 on a 12, the very first ride. That's Pat Station Road. will take you right to Portico, 1.1 miles from campus. How great would that be? It's closer than where you're living now. Many of you are scattered throughout the southeast or around the country. You could move to Starkville. I know you want to. I'd love for you to be my neighbor. I just don't want to have like a long line at the restaurant, though. Let me know when you're going. I don't like having to wait for a table. Make Portico your next move. Okay, so we're not going to do a hero today. We're going to do one on uh, on Wednesday. I wanted to kind of, guys, catch up on some baseball stuff. I always like to work that in with Brooks anyway because, you know, Brooks wore the, wore the uh, 
the M over S, man. And so a couple things I want to talk about here. So I've got some hitting numbers for you. Got some guys that are out there swinging the bat pretty well. Now, of course, Logan Tanner, we, I, we talked about that uh, on Friday. So he's done for the fall. He was out there in a protective boot uh, over the weekend. But, um, yeah, so Logan Tanner has been your leading hitter through the fall. Through 13 inter-squad scrimmages, he's hitting 500. Got three dingers and only struck out twice and 24 ABs. That's big. Now, granted, he's not facing Landon Sims. But he's facing Division I SEC pitchers. Bryce Chance, true freshman, hitting 480. How about that? Let that sink in for a second. We talk about all these guys and these transfers and JUCO guys, and then you got Bryce Chance, newcomer, up there hitting 480. Pretty impressive. Couple doubles and just one strikeout at 25 ABs. That's what we always hear about, right? Well, it's so difficult to hit, you know, Division I pitching. Bryce Chance. Making some things happen. Luke Hancock hitting 393. Uh, four doubles for him and uh, one dinger. R.J. Yeager, we've talked about him a little bit. R.J. Yeager uh, among the team lead, three home runs, hitting 344. That's going to be a big second baseman, guys. <laughs> it's going to be outstanding. Strikeout numbers need to get a little bit better. He is a uh, kind of a, a swing and miss guy. Nine Ks uh, through 32 at-bats. But, you know, you're going to have some of that with power hitters more times than not. Uh, Drew McGowan, reserve outfielder last year, is hitting 462. Has eight hits on the year, not quite as many ABs, 22. But, uh, you know, Drew, uh, certainly a capable guy. He was the starting left fielder when we were out in Texas, if you may recall. Uh, Gray Bain, a uh, catcher that we're working on, 350 as a hitter, 350. Kellum Clark, you talked about him a lot. 290, got the one dinger. Uh, Need him to be a double-digit home run guy for us this year for sure. Hunter Hines, 276. Lane Forsyth swinging a little bit better bat these days, hitting about 250. Cam James, uh, 250. Not the least bit worried about those guys. Brad Cumbust is beginning to play again. You know, he was out the first part of the fall. He has uh, played in a couple games and uh, hitting 250. So we'll get him going. Not, not the least bit worried about that. Now, probably the biggest position battle is going to be center field. What are you going to do with Jess Davis, a gold glove guy, and then Braylon Skinner? That's going to be interesting. Neither one of those guys really lighten it up at the plate. Jess Davis hitting a buck 61, Braylon Skinner hitting 200. Somebody has got to take charge of that position. Somebody. So there are your hitting numbers. Let's talk a little pitching. Why don't we do that too? I know you got – and so, again, understand – these are not going to be a lot of names you know because they're, you know, the names that you know more times than not are not pitching in the fall. We're letting those guys get some rest, kind of saving their arms. So here we go. Preston Johnson has put in one game, just two innings pitched, uh, no runs allowed, three Ks, two walks. Nothing you can tell about that. Brooks Auger, five games, 11.7 innings pitched. How about that, Vandy? Uh, seven hits, 13 Ks, seven walks. Those numbers have got to come down, but he's allowed just one run. Jack Walker, Louisiana's Gatorade Player of the Year. We're really excited about him. A lot of people thought that he might be a draft risk. He's here. He's had six appearances, 11.3 innings, five hits, 11 Ks, eight walks. That's got to come down. But, again, just the one run. 
0.80. Cole Cheatham, five games, 10.7 innings pitch, 10 hits. That's got to come down. 15 Ks, eight walks. Uh, and then I was allowed four runs, three of them earned. Uh, Parker Stinnett, that's a name you know. I got a 3.46 ERA. That's got to come down. He's got to be pitching later in ball games. Uh, he's got five appearances, 13 innings pitched, 19 K, six walks. So it looks like maybe command is getting a little bit better with him. Casey Hunt's a guy a lot of people are really excited about. Uh, Casey with a 4.09 ERA. He's allowed five runs on the year, 17 Ks against four walks. That's a pretty good ratio there. We'll take that. Stone Simmons, he had a really rough outing the other day and uh, just had a bad day. Gave up a ton of runs in that one ball game. They just kind of jumped on him. But uh, he has allowed six walks, struck out 20, and allowed 10 runs in five appearances. And, again, a lot of that's kind of in one outing. That's not to say he's been dominant, but he had that one really bad outing that's kind of conflated that number a bit. Cade Smith, a guy that we really need to take a jump this year, possibly be a weekend guy for us, uh, has gone the most some of the most innings. 12.3 innings, 11 hits, 13 Ks, four walks, a hit-by-pitch is allowed, nine runs, ERA of 5.85. Mikey Tupper, another guy that's going to be in the mix, four appearances, 9.3 innings, ERA of 6.77, eight Ks, one walk. Got, we got to get better. I mean, these are younger guys that are going to have to contribute here. Andrew Walling was a guy we thought would go pro. He, has, he did not. He came to school. Four appearances, 6.3 innings pitched, four hits, four Ks, six walks, no hit by pitches, and is allowed six runs. Got to get better there. Brandon Smith, the guy that, you know, we, we know what to expect with Brandon. Uh, he has not had a great fall, is at least far as keeping runners off base. We've allowed uh, 16 runs with Brandon. And so, you know, maybe we're trying to add a pitch. You know, we'll see. It's just kind of part of the deal. But we're not pitching it exceptionally well right now. We're not. And so that's something, of course, obviously you'll get some you know, some names you know back in the, in the spring. And, and maybe this is some of the reason we've been so offensive is because of the fact we're hitting some newcomers and some guys that are kind of working their way into bigger roles this year. But, uh, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that uh, there's a reason you have fall ball practice. And this is it. You figure out who you can trust. You start beginning to assign some roles. I'm not the least bit worried about this team. I think we're going to be a really, really good team. We're very offensive right now. And so you've got some proven guys coming back. And, again, expect Landon Sims to be a weekend guy. You know, he's always been a starter. We made him a closer last year. So we're going to have to kind of figure that part of it out. And so I'm eager to see what Foxhall does kind of on the back end. Because, you know, you don't have some guys that you normally have had. I mean, it's like we had Riley Self and Spencer Price for 30 years. You know, it's just kind of part of the deal. And now they're gone. And even if you don't have them available physically, it was good to kind of have those guys to kind of reinforce what the coaches are are kind of you know, preaching, you know, guys that, that have good habits. You know, and sadly, both of those guys, that you had some injuries that kind of derailed their playing careers. But I uh, think a lot of both of those guys. But uh, we're going to miss their leadership. Landon Sims is kind of that guy, though. That's, that's the thing we talk about. You know, it's like it's not just the guy on game day. It's the guy on practice day. It's the guy on off day. It's the guy on lift day. Who's the guy that keeps our eye on the prize? Well, you know, Landon Sims is one of those guys. Cam James, too, to a lesser extent. Cam is not the rah-rah guy, 
But Cam is a guy that's going to go out there when somebody's doing something silly. Um, so that's kind of where we are. I think it's important that we everybody kind of understand it's going to be a kind of a work in progress, you know, for a lot of these folks. But we have a lot of talent on this baseball team. We're going to be a really talented baseball team this year. We're going to win a lot of ball games this year. I think it's pretty apparent that we have the offense, despite the fact that you lose T.A. and Rowdy. The clutch gene is the thing I worry about a little bit. You know, Logan Tanner has some of that. And he's another one of those guys, too, that are kind of – he was accepted pretty early on because he was an alpha dog. Everybody kind of knew who he was, what he was about, and he went out and proved it on the field. Guy's a big game hitter. Really, really took some strides down the stretch. He's in great shape too. So we'll get him back. I know a lot of people were concerned, you know, about, um, you know, what's happening, you know, with, with Logan. But he's, he'll be fine. He'll be good to go. By the time We don't play baseball until uh, – Valentine's Day weekend. They'll be careful with him in the spring, but he'll be good to go. I'm excited about this team, and I think you guys should be as well. I, I want to see him play another opponent, you know, before we start kind of figuring this thing out. Because, listen, the, the SEC is going to be completely different this year. I think Ole Miss got a chance to be really good. Now, offensively, that is. Pitching-wise, not so much. You know, they're, they're going to be a lot like they were last year in the bullpen, and they're not going to have, you know, Nikhazy and Hogland to work with. They're not going to be nearly as good pitching-wise, but they're going to be able to win some games, you know, from the uh, offensive side of the play. They're going to be able to go out there and win some of those shootouts. And so they're going to have to hit good pitching because if not, they're going to have to go out there and try to win every Sunday game like a church league softball game and try to get a series win. Arkansas has some transfers in. They also lost a lot. And so this is going to be a team – you know, Battles is back, of course, and uh, Bob Moore, those guys are back. You know, and so they they have a young nucleus and some guys that have some SEC experience under their belt. They're really tough at home. Well, we got to go up there this year. But I think it's important that everybody kind of understand Arkansas is not going anywhere. Now, they don't have the pitching they had last year. You can't just go call the cops. And down the stretch, they really faded because of uh, the stamina of those guys. So I think it's important to kind of figure out where we fit in all this. You know, Auburn was kind of built to win last year, and they didn't. Uh, Alabama lost some decent players, but they're going to return a pretty good nucleus, too. They're going to be better, probably back in the tournament type better. Uh, LSU is going to be outstanding, or should be. You know, Jay Johnson comes in, has some transfers come in. They're going to be they're going to be another launch angle, angle type team. they got to figure out the pitching aspect of all this stuff. And so, you know, it's going to be a typical SEC West year. A&M will be better. You know, Slosh is there. But, uh, you know, it's not – you know, they haven't had time to kind of bring in the guys that uh, they kind of fit, you know, what's going on. You know, they're going to have to kind of take a year or two, I think. But, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't know why a and ever bad at baseball. With the resources and the recruiting footprint they have, it doesn't make a lot of sense. All right, listen, that's going to do it for today. We didn't have a game to talk about today. So, again, you know, don't get spoiled with these uh, hour and 15-minute type shows. We'll get back to our normal format here as we go. But uh, excited about the week and uh, excited about the ball game. And, uh, you know, again, if, uh, if I had to call it today, I got to pick Alabama. But we'll see what happens over the course of the week, you know. I think we can go out there and compete with Alabama. And the next thing you know, you, you create a turnover, something good happens. You never know. I'm glad that we're at home. 
And you guys need to turn out. That's a big part of this thing. You guys need to turn out and be a part of this. Home crowd makes a difference. If you saw that atmosphere at Kyle Field over the weekend against Alabama, it made a difference. We can be just as loud even though we don't have nearly as many people. We can get it done. So come out, be a part of it. And if you can't come, please don't sell your tickets to Alabama fans. You can go to the Gene's Page Forum. You can go to any of these Facebook groups, and there's plenty of Bulldog fans looking for tickets. They're happy to take them off your hands. But let's please pack the stadium with Maroon and White. It's important. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, and it seems like forever since I wrote that book, and it's not even out yet. So dogpilethebook.com to pre-order your copy of Dogpile, the celebration of Mississippi State's first-ever NAFL championship in college baseball. It was so much fun to write that chronicled the whole year for you guys please check it out while you're there you can get signed copies of flim flam stark villains and alpha dogs if you're looking at blooms of oleander that is on the bestseller list for four straight months which blows my mind it's crazy to think about that thank you guys so much you can visit your local bookstore call them they can order you can get personalized copies from book martin cafe and starkville or you can just go to Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, booksmillion.com, and order that today. Also available on Nook. And again, I never expected all this stuff to happen. Someone enjoy it as long as it lasts. And uh, thank you guys for your support. I got a message today. Somebody said, hey, Steve, I got a friend. It's a big Boneyard listener. I'd like to be able to buy some Boneyard merch. The only Boneyard merch are the books and the Stark Villains shirts. You can go to starkvillains.com. And order those shirts. Maybe we do another Boneyard shirt. We, we sold a bunch of those. when We did the Boneyard uh, shirts a few years ago, but I guess that was back in 17, 18. So it's been a few years since we've done it. Maybe we'll do another one uh, soon. I know some people have requested that. But that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for your time and your patience and your support of the Boneyard all these many years. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.